Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. This is an off-topic message, and after preaching it twice uh, this weekend, here's what I've really figured out. This is like shoving broccoli down people's throat on Christmas morning. That's what I figured out. Like this topic, this message is not like bluebell ice cream spiritually, okay? So uh, remember, as we walk through this, that there are healthy things that we need to consume spiritually that we may not always like to talk about. And in this message, I'm gonna present a goal that I've presented to the Lord on behalf of our church for this next season of time. Now, I'm not gonna share the goal with you until the end of the message, but as a a first step towards reaching this goal, we are kicking off 2020. I'm just gonna let the cat out of the bag with a fast. I have gained the reputation over the last eight years of calling the church to a fast at the least opportune time. Like last year, I called the church to a fast leading up to Christmas. Who does that, right? This year, we're kicking off 2020, a new decade with a church-wide fast. And this message is designed to really uh, kind of address our fast, but also teach all of us a little bit more about fasting. And if you've been here for any amount of time, you know my personal preaching philosophy is this. Preach when they know, teach when they don't. Last week, I preached on the story of Christmas. This week, I'm going to teach this message because, unfortunately, far too many believers don't fully understand the importance and the power of fasting. And as it relates to setting this really big goal, when you hear the the size of our goal, some of you are going to think it's naive. Some of you are going to think it's lunacy. Some of you are going to think it's just a little boy, you know, setting his sights on the moon and hoping he ends up in the stars. Listen, uh... As we talk about the next season as a church, there's a problem in our valley. And I don't know if we're all mindful of this, but we have over 6 million people who live in our valley, and it's estimated that 5 million of them do not know Jesus personally. Now, we had an amazing year as a church, the best year we have ever, ever had by a million miles in every way we can measure, okay? But as the senior pastor of the church, I am left at the end of a phenomenal year going, is this what the next 25 years are going to be like? Are we going to be about more buildings and making buildings better and more campuses and more ministries and and all, all that's great. None of it is bad. But if we don't do something to address the problem that we are surrounded by in this valley, to me, what's the point? What's the point of being the family of God if we don't increase its size? And so you're, you're going to see as we walk through this message, fasting is going to play a, a big role in this big goal. And, and here's why. You, most of you understand this principle, that achieving big goals requires doing hard things. Achieving big goals requires doing hard things. It's easy to just set a big goal verbally. But if we don't take the necessary steps to walk it out, it's just talk. And the title of this message is, Talk is Cheap. Talk is Cheap. And we're going to answer four questions related to fasting. 
And the reason is this. Fasting is one of the harder things that we do in our walk with Christ. It's not the hardest thing, but it is one of the harder things. But you'll see through this message, while it's true, the price we personally pay in a fast is huge. The payoff is extravagant. All right? So let's jump in. If you got a Bible, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 9. We're going to start there as we answer these four questions. And we're going to meander through many passages of Scripture to help answer these questions. And here's question number one. Why fast? It's what some of you are already asking when I say the first 20 days of 2020, we're going to be on a church-wide fast. And your, your, your flesh is asking the question, why? Why are we doing this? Can I not just celebrate New Year's Day, watching college football, eating whatever I want? Sure you can, absolutely. Or you can be godly. No, I'm just kidding. That, that was a joke. That was a joke. Okay. There's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm not condemning. But let's answer the question, why fast? First of three answers to this question. It's a common practice for a disciple of Jesus. Fasting is a common practice for a disciple of Jesus. Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, listen to what it says. One day the disciples of John the Baptist came to Jesus and asked him, why don't your disciples fast like we do and the Pharisees do? Jesus replied, do wedding guests mourn while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. But someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Okay, understand what Jesus is communicating here. He is saying, as normal as celebrating is at a wedding, so fasting will be for my followers when I'm gone. Okay, that's a strong statement. Because just, just think about your annual calendar, my annual calendar, 52 weeks in a year. How much of those 52 weeks do I spend fasting? Well, for many of us, we don't really fast unless the pastor calls the church to a fast. But this is not meant to be the only time we fast. Jesus makes it clear. He says, hey, the reason my disciples aren't fasting right now is I'm with them. But when I go, as normal as celebrating is at a wedding, so fasting will be for my followers when I'm gone. Why? Because fasting is normal for a follower of Jesus. Here's the second answer to the question, why fast? It's a necessary act for a follower of Jesus. It's a necessary act. In other words, it's not just normal, it's necessary. If you're in Matthew 9, flip back a couple chapters to Matthew chapter 4. Starting in verse 1, it says this, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus fasted. And he became very hungry. How many of you would be hungry if you went on a 40-day fast and only had water? Yeah, I, I, would be, I would be hallucinating probably. Verse 3, during that time, the devil came to him and said, If you're the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, People do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. This is a very important passage of scripture for us. Think about the, the context here. Jesus has just been baptized. And this is the first act of Christ's public ministry. Okay, He gets baptized. The voice of God speaks out. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And now his first steps in public ministry on the earth 
are to be led out by the Holy Spirit into the wilderness, and I've been to this place, and I'm telling you, when, I, when we think wilderness, we think like a forest. This is deserted desert wilderness. You can't see a blade of grass for miles in this part of the world. Jesus is led by the Holy Spirit out to this deserted place. Fast for 40 days. Now remember, first are of utmost importance to God. The first of anything is important to God because he belongs first. So the first step Jesus takes is to fast. He is sending a message to all of his followers. Listen, here's how important fasting is if you're a follower of mine. It's the first thing I'm going to do. Another way to say it, anytime you plan on doing big things for God's kingdom, it should always start with a big first step. And fasting is one of the best big first steps we can take. It was good enough for Jesus. It should be good enough for his followers. But Jesus isn't just making that statement. The devil comes to him and says, hey, bro, you look pretty hungry. If you're really the son of God, why don't you just whip up some bread out of those stones right there? And Jesus, knowing that his followers would read the account of this story for thousands of years following it goes on record and quotes Deuteronomy 8. And he says, now you listen to me, devil. I'm not just saying this to you. I'm saying to every follower of mine who will read this record, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Father. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you ever have to choose between physical food and spiritual food, go with the one you can't live without. Too many of us think we can't live without physical food. We can go without physical food for a period of time. Now, bluebell ice cream, I don't know how long I can go without that, but we can go without physical food. Jesus is saying, Preston, you cannot go without spiritual food. Here's another way to say it. Fasting reminds us that we can actually go without the things we're convinced we can't live without, but we cannot live without what far too many believers commonly leave out, spiritual food. Fasting reminds us we can go without this, but we cannot go without that. Think about it like this, the earthly system requires sustenance, but the heavenly system requires dependence. Fasting reminds us of that. It teaches us that, that we can do without these things, but we cannot go without spiritual food. And listen to me closely. Part of fasting is making more room for God to speak. If the only spiritual food you're getting is in church, you are an emaciated follower of Jesus Christ. What God's called you to do is too big for you to only be getting spiritual protein from a sermon every weekend. God created you for far more than that. And a fast reminds you of that very thing, that God created you to run on spiritual food. Here's the third answer to the question, why fast? It's a romantic gesture for a lover of Jesus. It's a romantic gesture for a lover of Jesus. Romans 12, verse 1. Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, I don't have the time to break down this entire very important verse, Romans 12 verse 1, but I do want to draw your attention to two Greek words that Paul uses that are very powerful, okay? Now, I memorized Romans 12 verse 1, old school King James, I beseech ye therefore brethren. Anybody memorize Romans 12 1 in that? I beseech ye therefore brethren by the mercies of God, okay? The word beseech in the Greek or urge is the word parakaleo. It's two Greek words fused together, para and kaleo. Para meaning alongside of. Kaleo meaning to beckon or even to beg. So get the picture here. Paul is coming alongside of you, the apostle Paul, putting his arm around you, bringing you in close and begging you. He is begging, he is pleading with you, which points to this being of utmost importance. Now, what is he begging you to do? He uses another Greek word, peristemi. Peristemi literally means to sacrifice or dedicate something to the Lord. And here's what he, he is saying. I am begging you to give the gift to the God of the universe that is at the top of his list for every one of his children. After salvation, which is at the top of his list for everyone, for all of his children, once you become a child of God, here's the thing at the top of God's list. If you wanna give him an incredible gift, here's the gift he really wants. He wants you to daily, constantly being a, be a living sacrifice set apart for him. And Paul says, this pleases God. Now, that's the way I'm wired. If I'm gonna give you a gift, I don't just wanna give you a gift, I wanna figure you out and find out what the, the gift you really want is. And that's what I wanna give you. And in my family, I, I, people make fun of me all the time. We have not opened gifts on Christmas in nearly a decade. Because I buy gifts a couple weeks before Christmas and I can make it about four days before I give it to you. Like literally, if I'm giving you a Christmas gift, you're gonna know it because somewhere around December the 12th, you're gonna get it. Because I just get too excited. I, I just can't hold on to gifts. Okay, listen, this is how we should see fasting. Many of us look at fasting like, oh goodness. Instead of, this is a gift I'm giving God. He longs for me to, to live in such a way where I am a living sacrifice. Here's the romantic statement fasting makes to God. I'm not here for me. I'm here for you. I'm setting myself apart. I am going without these things because I am not here for me. I'm here for you. Here's the second question we've got to answer related to fasting. And this is more specific to our fast as a church. What are we fasting? What are we fasting as a church? If you're taking notes, write these two things down. Here's the first one. We're fasting our appetite for favorite choices. Our appetite for favorite choices. And in Princess, you can put meals if you'd like. Now, am I calling the entire church to a liquid only fast? No. Here's what I'm saying. If you call this your church home, I simply want you over the next couple of days before the first day of 2020, we're gonna take some time in prayer and ask the Holy Spirit, okay, as it relates to food, what should I go without for the first 20 days that I love that would make more room 
for the spiritual food that I can't live without. Whether that's a favorite meal of the day, whether that's a favorite food, whether that's coffee. And some of you are thinking, get behind me, you devil. <laughs> I'm not saying fast coffee. That's what my wife said to me last night. She goes, oh, I, sugar and Coke. I'm not allowed to have caffeine and sugar. Oh, babe, this is going to be rough. I'm like, but it's so beautiful to the Lord, honey. She's like, but I, sugar. I mean, that girl could go without protein if she could just have sugar. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that's what you need to fast. And, and here's one of the reasons why it's important to fast food, because it reminds us. We can go without physical food, but we cannot go without spiritual food. I want to show you a passage in Proverbs chapter 23, verses 1 and 2, that when I read it, it's going to sound a little bit random and even a little bit uh, strong, okay? But let me give you context after I read it. Proverbs 23, verse 1 says, When you sit down to eat with a ruler, observe carefully what is before you and put a knife to your throat if you're given to appetite. Okay, that kind of sounds strong, doesn't it? Like, did anybody sit down on Christmas Day at the family dinner table and have the thought, that pie looks so good. No, 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 don't you dare. Okay, none of us did that, right? Okay, that's not what Solomon is saying. Literally, slit your throat if you like food and you're in the presence of the king. Here is one of the things I believe Solomon is trying to teach us. That if you find yourself in the presence of a king and food is placed before you, Make fellowship with the king more important to you than the food on your plate. This happens with my wife from time to time when we're on date night. We have such a great date night that we don't really get to all of our food. Why? Because when you're in good company, the fellowship is far better than the food. Okay, let me try and paint this picture even more clearly for you. Let's just imagine you were hosting the most powerful king on the planet today in your home for a meal. And you decided to invite as many friends as would fit around your dining room table. And you also decided, I'm going to serve the most extravagant meal anyone has ever served. Lobster, filet, caviar, whatever you think is awesome, that's what you're serving. The king shows up, your friends and family show up, and they all sit down at the table and your friends don't wait five seconds. They have never seen such amazing food. Their faces are down in the plate and they are throwing down like Charlie Brown. Okay? And at the head of the table is the king. And the king hasn't touched his food because he's been talking the entire time. And at the other end of the table sits you. And oddly enough, you're the only other person at the table who hasn't touched the amazing food. Because you are so enraptured and enamored with the king at the head of the table that you've forgotten there was food sitting before you. You have made fellowship with the king more valuable than the food presented to a king. Okay, when we fast food, Here's what we're saying to God. I ain't here for the food. I'm here for the fellowship. And I'm going to go without some things to create more room to fellowship with the God of the universe. Here's the second thing we're fasting. Access to outside voices. 
access to outside voices. So appetite for favorite choices, access to outside voices, in parenthesis, you can put this word and it's gotten guttural moans in the first two services, it's the word media. I'm calling the church to a media fast. Now, the church's social media account is gonna go black for 20 days. We're just, we're, we're going silent for 20 days. You're not gonna hear one thing from us. We're going dark. This, it's gonna be a black page. Not gonna see any words. It's out. 20 days, okay? Let me help you understand the why though, okay? In Acts chapter 13, this is the beginning of Paul's missionary journey. And the apostles, I want you to see what they do in this moment in verse two of Acts 13. It says, as the apostles ministered to the Lord, so they set themselves apart, fully devoted and focused on the Lord, and they were fasting. During this time, the Holy Spirit spoke and said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Okay, think about this. They set themselves apart. They quiet the voices around them. And wouldn't you know it, the Holy Spirit speaks loudly and clearly. Okay, this is what happens for all of us when we silence the voices around us. Let's go back to the table illustrations, uh, illustration where the king is dining in your home. Let's say your friends and family have now finished their meal. And what happens when everybody is finished with their meal? Everybody starts talking really loudly, you know, so they're all catching up and talking and, and the king is still talking and you're trying to hear what the king is saying, but everybody is talking so loudly that you can see the king's lips moving, but you just can't hear what he's saying. So what do you do? You lose it. You lose it. And at the top of your lungs, you scream, everybody but the king, get out. I'm trying to hear what he is saying. And you're all talking about who knows what, doesn't even matter. You're so loud and obnoxious. You got to get out of my house because I just want to hear the king. And everyone leaves and the king keeps talking and you can hear every word he's saying. Okay, do you catch how romantic this is? What do you think the king is thinking at the other end of the table when you temporarily kick everybody out of your house. Wow, she really likes hearing me talk. He really values my voice. Okay, and here's a bigger question. Do you think when you take the steps needed to take to silence the voices around you so that you can better hear the voice of your king, do you think your king is gonna give you the silent treatment? No way, no way. You're going to hear God speak more loudly than ever before. Here's why, fasting outside voices makes more room for his voice. Now, very quickly, if you're here and you don't know Jesus personally yet, I'm so glad that you're here and you might be thinking, well, why is it so important to quiet the other voices in my life just so I can hear God's voice? Why is his voice more important than all those other voices? Really good question. Let me quickly give you two answers to this question. If you're taking notes, they're not in your notes, so write these down. Here's the first reason why. Because God's voice is the only voice that calls things into existence. 
God's voice is the only voice that calls things into existence. That's Romans 4.17. God, who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. In the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 1, verse 3, then God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be light, with his mouth, with his words, and there was light. Okay. And when I tell you that I'm calling the church to a media fast, and remember, that's between you and the Lord. Maybe you're addicted to a particular news channel, and you turn on that news channel first thing in the morning before you turn on his channel. And, and you feel like I need to take a 20-day break or maybe it's social media. Let me just ask you, if you're feeling like I punched you in the gut saying that we're going to fast social media for 20 days together, let me just ask you a, a really important question. Do any of the people you follow on social media have the power to speak anything into existence? No. Not one of them does. You can go without their voice for 20 days, thereby making more room for God's voice. And big reason why. His voice is the only one that has the power to speak anything into existence. Here's the second big reason, though. His voice is the only one which succeeds 100% of the time. God's voice is the only one which succeeds 100% of the time. That's Isaiah 55, 11. God says, it is the same with my word. I send it out, and it always produces fruit. My word will accomplish all I want it to, God says. And it will prosper everywhere I send it. Every time God speaks, it accomplishes what he wants. Okay. Two really good reasons why we should temporarily silence the voices around us to make more room for his voice. Question number three. What will happen as a result of this fast? What will happen as a result? First answer, you will learn self-control. You will learn self-control any and every time you fast. Proverbs 16, verse 32, better to be patient than powerful, better to have self-control than to conquer a city. Proverbs 25, 28, a person without self-control is like a city with broken down walls. In other words, it sounds or looks really powerful, but it's easy to overtake. Okay, I, I think self-control is one of the most underutilized strengths in the body of Christ. We just have a lot of people who, who are used to giving themselves whatever they want whenever they want it. And here would be a question, if you struggle with that, if you struggle with saying yes to yourself all the time whenever you want it, maybe it's emotionally, you feel like just, just being emotionally unrestrained and throwing a fit, and so you give that privilege to yourself. Or maybe you, you don't have the money, but you want to buy something, and so you get out your credit card and you buy it because you want it. If you struggle with telling yourself yes all of the time, fasting is one of the best spiritual practices you can adopt. And here's why. Is it ever really a good thing for you to tell yourself yes any and every time you want something. Now your flesh would say yes, but your spirit would say no. And why? Because you're not always right. Have you ever wanted something and then when you got it, you didn't like what you got? You had regret. Okay, listen, fasting teaches us self-control. And before we can really learn to yield to the Holy Spirit, we have to learn how to tell ourselves no. And if you're taking notes, I want you to write this one-liner down as it relates to fasting and self-control. 
Because if you're going to fast, it's going to require a determined no. And here's what I want you to write down. A determined no always makes room for a divine yes. Your determined no always makes room for a divine yes. Here's the second thing that will happen in this fast. We will be unified. Remember, we're not just fasting individually, we're fasting as a family. We will be unified. Psalm 133, a couple of verses, but it speaks to the power of unity. Verse one says, behold how good and pleasant it is when, when brothers dwell in unity, when the family of God does stuff together. Listen, if I'm the only one that takes this goal to God and I'm the only one who fasts at the beginning of this new decade, to show that I'm serious about this goal, then what it communicates to God is it's just a personal priority to me. But if we all do it together as a family, what we're communicating to God is this is a non-negotiable. God, we are setting ourselves apart for your kingdom to accomplish this goal, if it be thy will. Fasting, when we do it together, it unifies us. Go home and read Psalm 133. What God says happens when we're unified. It's like it brings a measure of anointing oil on anyone in alignment together with the will of God. And we experience a favor and an anointing that is supernatural. Why? Because we do it together. Here's the third thing that will happen during this fast. I promise you, God will respond. If you set yourself aside for 20 days, you will see God respond in supernatural ways. I promise you. Now in your notes, I put Luke chapter 18, verses one through eight, and I don't have the time to read it, but I'll give you the abridged version of the story. Jesus tells his disciples the story of a woman who was seeking justice with her neighbor. And she goes to a judge that Jesus describes like this. He says, this, this judge didn't believe in God, and did not even believe in doing good. And, and this woman goes to the judge every day pleading for justice. And this judge, who doesn't believe in God and doesn't even believe in doing good, gets so annoyed with her shameless persistence that the judge says, I don't even fully believe in this woman's cause, but because she is so persistent in seeking justice, and I don't want to be annoyed any longer, I'm gonna see to it that she gets justice in this matter. Now, what is Jesus communicating? Is he communicating that when we persistently go to the Father with a request, that he gets so annoyed that he grants it so that we'll go away? No. Jesus is saying, hey, there are gonna be times in this walk of faith where you're gonna need some shameless persistence to break through. And Jesus even says at the end, he says, basically the father's response to faith like that is not up for debate. Jesus says, what I wonder is will he find anyone with that kind of faith? And I want you to hear my heart. I'm gonna spend the rest of my time in ministry taking this one request before the Lord. And I'm starting together with anyone who calls this church their home, the first 20 days of this new decade and this new season for us as a church, I am starting by letting him know, I am declaring our intentions. 
I am going to annoy the fire out of you related to this goal until it happens. Imagine what your life would be like if every morning you started your prayer time taking one person's name in your life who does not yet know Jesus before the Lord. And every day you prayed for them until you saw the God of the universe reach them with the love of Jesus. Shameless persistence. I promise you, if you set yourself apart over the first 20 days of this new year, not just for the good of our church, but in your own life and in your own family, you will see God respond. That brings us to the fourth and final question. What are we fasting for? What is the point? What is the big goal? Now let me, before I tell you what the goal is, let me remind you, I already know many of you are going to think this is lunacy. I already know some of you are going to think this is very naive. I'm okay with all of that. But here's the goal that I've taken to the Lord on behalf of our church. 20,000 souls over the next 25 years. 20,000 souls. Not 20,000 in attendance. 20,000 souls in 25 years. If this is where I'm going to plant my flag for the rest of my life, and God situated me in a valley where there are just over six million people and five million of those people, it's estimated, do not know Jesus personally. Then I'm sorry, I can't spend the next 25 years of my life getting excited about more attendance and more giving. To me, those are simply means to an end. They are not the end game. I don't wanna to get to heaven one day and the only thing he has to pat me on the back about is, man, you had great attendance and great giving at your church, bro. I want him to pat you on the back and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Thank you for being a part of a move of God where thousands of people came into my kingdom as a result of your sacrifice and faithfulness. That's what I want. That's what we're going to do. You may not be here for the entire 25 years. By God's grace, I'll get to be here for those 25 years. And I'm telling you this. By God's grace, we will reach this goal. And when we do, we are going to throw the best party this valley has ever seen. And I pray to God, whichever building I happen to be standing in that weekend when we announce that we have reached this goal, I pray that I weep my eyes out on that front row, watching as the names of 20,000 people through the entire service go up and down the that screen. This is one I want to give my life towards. I didn't come out here to build some big church. I came out here to build the kingdom of God. And you cannot stick me with 5 million people in my yard that don't know Jesus and just go, have great worship services and preach as best you can. No, I want to wreak havoc for the enemies of our God. And I want to plunder hell and populate heaven. And here's what's awesome. Here's what's awesome. This is a little bit like David and Goliath. Our tiny little church of just over a thousand people right now. Some would look and go, that's crazy. Well, when I read through my Bible, every page I walk away and go, that's crazy. That's crazy. The water parted? Born of a virgin? 
That's crazy. I don't want to spend the rest of my life doing normal. I want to spend the rest of my life and yours helping people who don't know Jesus experience something so far beyond they ever imagined possible. This is what we do. The family of God builds the family of God. And here's what I felt like the Lord's response was when I handed this to him. I don't feel like he handed it to me. I, I just tried to burst into his office one morning and just said, I'm throwing down. This is it right here. 20,000 over 25 years. Here's what I feel like his response was. This changes everything, son. You are now no longer allowed to behave according to the size of your church. You must now behave according to the size of your goal. Everything we do as a church is going to be oriented towards reaching this goal until we achieve it. And one day, by God's grace, we're going to get to heaven. And there's going to be a sea of people that God used us to help get there. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.